again, everyone. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Judges. Now, that's a book in the Old Testament. You know it begins Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament. Then Joshua, and then Judges, the seventh book of the Old Testament. And as you see on your outline today, I want to share a message entitled Life Lessons and Leadership Lessons from the Book of Judges. And as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, I want to say a warm, warm welcome to everybody in our contemporary service. I'm really glad that you're here on campus this morning. Thank you for coming as well as everybody who's joining us on TV and online. I'm glad you're here as well. Now, why are we looking at the Book of Judges? It's been because it's part of our chapter a day uh, reading. And if you're not in that journey yet, pull out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to join in with hundreds of us as we're reading a chapter of God's word every day. Now we're going to finish the book of Judges this Thursday, and then we're going to begin through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, the life of Jesus that takes us from his birth all the way to his crucifixion and resurrection and we We'll finish our read through the Gospel of Luke on Easter Sunday. And I just want to say, what better way to prepare your heart for all God has in store for you and for us at Easter time than to abide in one of the Gospels a day at a time between now and then. So I hope that you're going to join in. I want to really say thanks to Pastor Justin for giving us a great beginning message from the book of Judges. If you were here last week, you benefited from that teaching. I benefited from it by watching it online. Gives me a chance to say that when you have to miss a Sunday at Ingleside, I hope you'll make your way to our website or go to our app and listen to the message from the previous week. That way, you won't have to miss a one. Now, you know, one of the things that I love is that our church is just really daring to do something that a lot of folks say can't be done. They say uh, that contemporary Christ followers, folks like you and me, we just don't have the depth. We don't have the attention span. We don't have the quality of commitment to allow us to go back to a book like the book of Judges and spend three weeks reading it, a chapter a day, and then to hear some messages from it. Instead, guess what the critics say? They say that folks like you and me, uh, we, we only want those nice, easy, positive portions of Scripture that'll make us feel good. And if we can just stick with those, then we're golden, right? But guess what I believe? I believe that God intends over time to have a complete diet of robust teaching, of the easy parts, the hard parts, the positive parts, the convicting parts, every part of God's word is good for you and me. And that's one of the reasons we're in the book of Judges. Can you say amen to that? 
See, I just think it's good for us to actually dig into some places that are a little harder. So let me tell you what I want to do in this second message from the book of Judges. I want to give you a quick overview. This is brand new territory. Now, I know in this room there's some experienced Christ followers. You may have even taught the book of Judges before. But guess what I also know? There's some men and women, boys and girls, they've never read the book of Judges. They may have heard one or two or three Bible stories from it, but that's it. And so I, I want to give you a quick overview, and then I want to look at three big lessons, three big takeaways for us from three of the judges this morning. Are you ready? Got your pen in hand? Let's begin. Here's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to see that the Bible teaches us that judges are really, write it in, leaders Judges are leaders, primarily military leaders and civil leaders in Israel after Joshua and before the monarchy. So every one of the judges are leaders. Now, don't let that word judge throw you. Don't think about someone in a black robe sitting in a courtroom. No, it's another name for a a governmental leader, a military leader. And when does this occur? Well, after Moses and Joshua and the people came into the land, but before Samuel and the first King Saul and then David and Solomon. So it's about a two or 300 year period, 12 or 1300 BC to 1000 BC. Judges are leaders. Here's the second thing. Write it in on your outline. There are 12 judges. There are 12 judges. Now, I think we ought to at least say their names out loud. Since they're in the Bible, don't you think every church ought to say the names of the judges out loud at least once? I do. Here, here we go. Judge number one is Othniel. Uh, only three verses about him. Judge number two is Ehud. Judge number three is Shamgar. Pastor Justin taught us about him. Right in number four, she's the only woman in the group. Her name is Deborah. Deborah was a judge. Number five was Gideon. Number six was a fellow named Tola. Number seven was Jair. Number eight was Jephthah. Number nine was Isbon. Number 10 was Elon. Number 11 was Abdon. I bet you've never heard some of those before, have you? Well, I, I, you know, a lot of us haven't if we haven't read the book of Judges. But I bet almost everybody in the room and everybody watching on TV and online knows the name of this last one. Uh, the last of the 12 judges whose story is told in chapters 13 through 16 is famous for his Herculean kind of strength. He was able to kill a lion with his bare hands. He was able to pull down the pillars of a temple and make the whole thing fall down. What's his name? Tell me out loud. Samson, that's exactly right. Samson was the 12th of the judges. Now, here's the third insight, and that is that the judges lead in a period of spiritual decline. The judges lead during a period of spiritual decline. In fact, when you make your way through the 21 chapters of Judges, it just seems to get spiritually darker and darker and darker and darker. And you see this pattern that's cycling down. 
the first step in the pattern is when the people sin and disobey God and commit idolatry and intermarry with some of the pagan peoples. As a result of that, number two, judgment comes from God and his people are oppressed by the enemies. So you see the Ammonites, the Midianites, the uh, Philistines conquering God's people. And then what happens? Number three, the people of God cry out to God for help. And God in his grace and mercy, number four, sends a judge, a leader, to rescue and deliver his people. But the thing is, that cycle didn't, doesn't just occur on the same level spiritually. That cycle is spiraling downward. In fact, I, I need to just give you a warning. I hope you're going to read with me through this week. Uh, today, I think it's chapter 17. We'll finish chapter 21 on verse Thursday. When you get to Tuesday, chapter 19, some reader discretion is advised. Uh, it is, uh, quote from the ESV study Bible, one of the most sordid stories in the Bible. You read it and you, your heart is just disturbed by what you read. And what it reminds us is this is a period when spiritual darkness is on the ascendancy. And when you get to the end of the book of Judges, this is what it says. I want you to read this verse out loud with me. It's Judges 21, 25. It's on your outline. It begins in those days. It's the last verse of the book of Judges. Let's read it together. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, I want you to watch this. One of the evidences of spiritual darkness is when people throw off the authority of God and instead say, I'm God. I'll do what's right in my own eyes. So now look right up here. The big question that the book of Judges asks every one of us is what are you going to do? Are you going to be your own God? Are you going to make your own rules? Are you going to do what's right in your eyes? Or by God's grace, are you going to have the humility to say, oh God, I need you. And my heart's desire is to do what is right in your eyes. Boy, that's the bottom line question. Do what's right in your own eyes or do what's right in God's eyes? Well, with that bit of framing, let's look at just three of the lessons from three of the judges. The first is from Judges chapter four. It's a lesson from Judge Deborah. Look at what the Bible says. In chapter four, it says, and the people of Israel, 
You'll see this pattern we just outlined unfolding. Again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud, the left-handed judge, died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Haroshith Hagayim. I just want to stop right there and say, you ought to get extra points for having to read all these hard names out loud, don't you think? It says, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. And he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for her judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 people from Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I'll give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, well, if you will not go with me, or if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera, not into your hand, Barak, but into the hand of a woman. Now, if you know the rest of this story, that woman who ends up killing the Canaanite general is an intrepid, adventurous, courageous woman, not named Deborah, but named Jael. And whenever Sisera is fleeing the battlefield, she sees him. She says, hey, you look like you need some rest. Come on into my tent. And he came into the tent and she said, look, I'll hide you in here. I'll cover you with this skin. You need something to drink. She gave him some warm milk. He began to go to sleep. And guess what she did? You know what she did? She took a tent peg and drove it through his head. Aren't you blessed by the book of Judges? So, what's going on here? What's the Lord teaching us? There are many lessons we could draw, but I just want to highlight one quickly. This passage teaches us, write it in, that God uses both men and women, men and women, Barak and Deborah, Barak and Jael, men and women, to accomplish his purposes for his people. He always has he always does. Now, this passage doesn't sketch out for us a comprehensive kind of uh, perspective on men and women and how we ought to be related as people created in the image of God and as husbands and wives and what the roles in the home and the church ought to be. It's not all about that. It's just saying in a time of need, God raised up a strong woman. In Judges 5, she's called a mother in Israel. And she was wise. They came to her for judgments. She was close to the Lord. 
She challenged the generals to be strong and to face the enemies. You know, whenever I read this chapter, these chapters in the book of Judges, you know who came to mind for me? I don't know who it came to mind for you, but I'll tell you who came to mind for me. It's a strong, powerful woman political leader who lived and served not long ago in Great Britain as prime minister. Do you know who that woman is? Maggie Thatcher, the Iron Lady from 1999 or 1979 to 1990. And look right up here. I, I want all the, all the young ladies, all the girls in the room, look up here. I want to say... God may have a plan for you to be like a Deborah, to be a mother in Israel, to be powerful spiritually, to be influential for the kingdom. And wouldn't it be a great thing if young women all across our church and across our community decided to follow the Lord with their whole heart and be fully engaged in God's plan for their life? Oh, wouldn't that be good? I'd love to see a whole generation of Deborahs. Well, that's the big lesson here. Let's move on quickly to the lesson of Gideon. It's in Judges 6 through 8. Look at verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was bidding out beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, when we read that one verse, we know that something's not right here. Because whenever you were beating out wheat, you would typically do it up on a high place where the wind would blow. And as you would beat out the wheat, the wind would blow the chaff away. The grain would fall to the ground and you'd be able to keep it and use it. But Gideon's not up on a high place. Instead, he's down in a low place in a wine press hiding from the Midianites because the Midianites were coming and stealing their grain. So he was trying to do all this in secret. Look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, y'all, I just got to stop right there and say, I think Gideon sort of looked around and said, you said what? Because he wasn't feeling like a mighty man of valor. He was in a wine press, doing in a wine press what you ought to be doing up on the high place. And Gideon said to him, look at it, Gideon said to uh, the angel of the Lord, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why? Why has all this happened to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do, do not I send you? And Gideon said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. It was as if he were saying, do you know who you're really talking to here? 
I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. Nobody's expecting what you're describing out of me. And the Lord said to him, verse 16, but I'll be with you and you'll strike the Midianites as one man. Now don't miss this. Guess what the Lord's saying to Gideon? He's saying, Gideon, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. And I am with you. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me and don't depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. The angel said, I'll stay here till you return. Indeed, the sign was given. And then that night, later in the chapter, it says, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull, the second bull, pull down the altar of Baal, cut down the Asherah pole that's beside it. In other words, get rid of the idols and build an altar to the Lord um, on the top of the stronghold with the stones laid in due order and then take the bull and offer it and use the wood of the idol pole, the Asherah, uh, to burn the offering. And Gideon did that. Gideon took 10 men, did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. A lot of lessons in Gideon's story, but here's the big one I want to underscore. And that is back then and still today, God uses reluctant, reluctant leaders who are willing to obey and to give God all the glory. God still uses men and women who maybe don't see themselves as people that God might use, but God does. I really want to speak to parents and grandparents here about the way you speak to your children and to your grandchildren. Do you know that the Bible says that your words have the power of life and death? And it is possible as your kids and grandkids are growing up in front of you, for you to focus on their weaknesses and what they can't do and on their stumbles and on their failures and on their flaws and really to just point those out in a way that is deflating and demeaning. And if you do that, guess what you'll guarantee? You'll guarantee that your child or grandchild will struggle to become the person that God intends them to be. If they grow up hearing you say with your words or with your face or with your attitudes or with your actions, you're never going to amount to anything, then guess what? After a while, they'll probably believe it. But listen, parents, listen, grandparents. 
If by God's grace you can begin to see in your child or grandchild what the angel of the Lord saw in Gideon, and when you speak to them, oh yes, you discipline, you coach them as necessary, but you say to them, Listen, my son or daughter, the Lord is with you, and you are a mighty man or woman of valor. God has a great plan for you. Well, if you tell them that often enough, guess what they're going to do? They're going to believe it, and they're going to believe it and act on it. It's going to mean that they can get beyond their reluctance and their fear. Oh, I'm praying at every home at Ingleside, there's going to be moms and dads, grandparents, who speak into their kids and grandkids like the angel spoke into the life of Gideon. There's one last lesson. We don't have... Time to dig it all out. It's the most familiar. It's the lesson from Judge Samson. So let, let, let's just uh, go beyond the scripture. I don't think I have time to read that this morning. Um, just know that Samson was miraculously born to a woman who was barren. God intended him to be a Nazarite, no strong drink. No dead bodies, no cutting your hair. God intended him to be a Nazarite all the days of his life. And then look on the last page, verses 24 and 25. It says, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. He had a great beginning. He had a great beginning. But then his life really comes off the rails. He didn't marry another woman who loved the Lord. Instead, he married a Philistine woman from Timnah. And I want you to notice what he said. He said to his daddy, get her for me. She's right in my eyes. Do, do you get it? Are you tracking? He didn't say, Lord, is this right in your eyes? A little bit later, we see that he's motivated by personal revenge. His motto was, as they did to me, so I have done to them. He lived by the principle of payback. A little bit later, we see he was sexually promiscuous. He was involved with a prostitute in Gaza. And then last of all, he met and got involved with another Philistine woman named Delilah. And she betrayed him for money. And you know, this story is really a tragedy. She cuts his hair. The Philistines capture him. They gouge both of his eyes out. They put him in chains. What he didn't know was that the Lord had left him. He didn't have his strength anymore. They took him and put him for sport and entertainment in the temple of a foreign god. We don't know really what happened in Samson's heart. We know that near the end of his life, he prayed and he said, oh Lord, please remember me, strengthen me one more time. 
But even now, this prayer is tinged with revenge. He says that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And God gave him the strength to pull down the temple that killed 3,000 Philistines. And so, what do we say about the lesson from Samson? It's what the truth is about the lesson from many in this book. And that is God uses flawed flawed leaders to accomplish his purposes. Now, to say that ought to do two things. It ought to, one, give us hope. Because, I mean, let me just see your hand. How many of you in this room would say you are a flawed person at some level? Can I just say? Yeah, and those of you who did not raise your hand just revealed your flaw, so there you go. (laughs) What can I say about it? I'm a flawed person. And I'm thankful that God in his grace uses flawed people, aren't you? Glad that he saves flawed people and redeems flawed people and uses flawed people. So it ought to encourage us, but then it ought to warn us. You can have a great beginning, but if you're not careful, if you do only what's right in your eyes, not what's right in God's eyes, your life can come off the rails. There can be great heartache, tragedy in it. God doesn't want that for you and for me. So, you know, when you get to the end of Samson's story in Judges 16, it's not very satisfying. You've you've read about these judges and all along you're hoping things are going to get better. Surely they're going to get better. They've got to get better. And you come to the end of Samson's story and they're not better. Just leaves you not satisfied. And you say, well, I bet in the last five chapters, chapters 17 through 21, it's got to get better. And it doesn't get better. You get to the end of the book of Judges, and you just want to go, wow, that's bad. So guess what the book of Judges is intended to do? I think I wrote this on your outline. The book of Judges is intended to make us long for a leader who is not flawed and whose rescue makes us secure, not just for a little while, but forever. And if you keep on tracking through the biblical story, guess what happens? God in his grace and mercy sends just such a leader and his name is Jesus. He's the one we trust. He's the one we follow. He's the one who gives us ultimate salvation. Oh man, listen. If you've never trusted and followed that leader, maybe maybe there was a leader that you looked up to. Maybe they came off the rails. 
Maybe they disappointed you. Maybe they hurt you. I want to say, don't let that flawed human leader keep you from following the sinless, perfect leader, the Lord Jesus. You follow him. Let's pray together. Father, would you use the truths from this old neglected book of Judges to teach us, to challenge us, to instruct us, to encourage us, and to point us to Jesus and help us follow him with our whole heart. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.